Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cast Strength Pod or on Twitter at Cast Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Cast Strength the Whiskey Podcast. My name is Torn. I'm joined by my co-host Ronan. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What have you been up to? Um, I've been celebrating Cinco de Mayo today. Have you? Yes, May the fifth. How have you been celebrating it? Um, just thinking about the the day in itself and celebrating with all my Mexican friends. Okay. Yesterday I was celebrating Star Wars. It's a good week for celebrating. Aye. But contrary to belief, Cinco de Mayo is not when Mexico gained its independence from Texas or the United States. They actually beat the French in some fight, but that's just just a wee fact there for you. Okay, no worries. We'll move on. Well, um, before we move on, actually, what? this led me in, the Cinco de Mayo thing led me down a hole, and I went to see if there was any uh, Mexican whiskey. Right, okay. And there is, there yeah. is Mexican whiskey. Um, so that's kind of out with the traditional mezcal, tequila, uh, yeah. and also kind of Mexican beers, which I, we're all... Familiar, familiar with, as with well, as well, well yeah. probably the most famous ones, but yeah. So there's, it's called Abasolo, okay, El Whiskey de Mexico. Uh, you can buy it in the UK. It's made of corn, but okay. Yeah. There you go. That's that's. So probably a wee bit sweeter, and and also corn is obviously native to Mexico. I think it originated in Mexico. Obviously. Tortillas in this country are not usually made of corn, but traditionally they are tortillas for tacos yep. and uh, other uh, burritos and other traditional Mexican taquitos. Just just, well, I used to work in a Mexican restaurant and it's so all coming back all to me. I'm not, I'm not just going for kind of Mexican sounding, well, sorry, Spanish sounding words. Uh, I'm going for actual, actual stuff that I've used to serve to people. Uh, in other news, I mentioned the snooker in the previous podcast. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it? No. I watched a wee bit of the Masters. When Is I that the golf again? That's the golf again, yeah, uh, not the Masters. Snooker. Uh, well, anyway, Mark Mark Selby won the World Snooker Championship. <laughs> Unforgiving <laughs> snooker. He was playing. <laughs> Basically, the other fellow would make a mistake and Mark Selby would clear it up from there. It was good, good watching. Um, before we... Move on. Do you want to go through the Scotch Whiskey League? Yes. I've, let, let's I've got it in front of me here. Let's see where we stand. Uh, so, Scotch Whiskey League, before this recording, uh, on the 5th of May, Cinco de Mayo, uh, the top of the table, Long Row Red. Second, we've got Nguyen, single malt. Third, we've got Glen Scotia, 14-year-old. Uh, of course, the Open Day Bottling. Fourth, we've got Klein Leash, 14-year-old. I've been continuously calling it. A 12-year-old, yep. uh, but it's 14. Uh, the fifth in the table is Ben Nevis, 10-year-old. Sixth is the Bunahavn Sturidar, of course, in our last podcast, the Supermarket Sweep. Uh, seventh is Tobermory, 12. Eighth, Arbeg Wee Beastie. And ninth, Glen Murray Peated Elgin, which I find interesting about this table is that today two of these whiskies... Mm-hmm. Um, including possibly the two that we try today, are going to drop off the end of the table. Because yeah. we're limiting this table to just 10, 10 just spots. Yeah. No 
second division, no championship. Can't be bothered with that. No Liga Santander or whatever you want to call it. Liga Santander, how long ago was that? (laughs) Well, that's the last time I watched the second tier of Spanish football. Yeah, yeah, we can barely keep track of the 10, I was going to say 10 teams, the nine whiskeys that we've tasted so far. Never mind going and delving deeper under. If you ever want an update of the Scotch Whiskey League while you're listening to a podcast, um, the most hotly contested but also totally fictitious yes. Whiskey League. And the the league table is on our Instagram, Cash Strength Whiskey Podcast. You're able to find it there. Yeah, so it should go up with the beer post and also goes up in a story as yeah. well. Speaking uh, of the beer, as you mentioned that. Of course. Tonight we're trying, I got a, a, a wee delivery from the Glasgow Beer Works, so a local brewery within Glasgow um, of the smaller kind rather than tenants. And it's just some whiskey cask aged in a, a coffee sort of aged couple of beers that we're trying that we'll go throughout it and you'll see the the pictures and the list of the beers um on our instagram as well yeah so the one i'm currently trying is glasgow beer works which you obviously mentioned but this is a glen farkless whiskey cast aged jaggy imperial stout uh so we're not tasting glen farkless whiskey today but it's a whiskey cask aged barrel which is quite appropriate I mean, we we are tasting another continually family-owned distillery though we are uh which segues smoothly it wasn't smooth at all but yeah yeah well do you want to go over the whiskey news first or do you want to get fired into we'll get fired into these whiskeys we'll do whiskey news in the middle yes why not so we'll move on to the whiskeys two very special whiskeys we have today two very exclusive whiskeys we have today if you were to look at the auction prices of these whiskeys that we're going to try you would think we're mental. And if you seen my Instagram post, I would say, yeah, we are crazy. <laughs> crazy about trying <laughs> great whiskeys. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the first whiskey we're trying is, and actually the second whiskey we're trying is very, very similar. Um, we're trying a Springbank 10-year-old local barley. So the first one we're trying is the 2019 release. It's... Um, from High Catterdale Farm, which is in Southend, um, in the Mall of Tyre. This is the 56.2%, 9,000 bottles released worldwide. As we know, standard Springbank, fairly small releases. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a local barley, which, as it suggests, is barley that's grown locally around um, Campbelltown. Yeah, of course. So, basically, in the west coast of Scotland, you can't grow as much barley as uh, you would like to kind of supply a distillery like Campbelltown, like the West Coast, sorry, like Springbank, like the other Campbelltown distilleries, yeah. just because you can't produce that barley of higher quality, it's too wet. Uh, but then, Springbank and farmers in the local area work together to produce X amount of barley a year, yeah. which in time allows them to produce a whiskey, which usually gives the kind of local barley release which is around 9,000 bottles. But the kind of unique thing about the local barley releases are obviously 100%, totally 100% of the process Mm -hmm. from sowing the seed that makes the whiskey Mm -hmm. to bottling the whiskey after 10 years is done in Campbelltown, which I think is... It's maybe not unique. There is some Milo distilleries, there is some other kind of local barleys that are done. But I think Springbank were the first distillery to do this. Maybe one of the first to do this. I mean, I mean you had local barley releases in the 1960s. Yeah. 66. From Springbank. From Springbank. And I think the difference when it comes to this sort of thing, and 
correct me if I'm wrong, because my knowledge on, say, Coholman or Highland Park and such, they malt some of their barley some of the time. They don't produce 100%. They don't malt their barley 100% of the time. They don't malt 100% of the barley. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think they do. I, mean I think Coholman do a good amount. A good amount, yeah. I think Laphroaig have a floor or something, just more yeah. more like for tourists and stuff like that or whatever. We're, we're, but we're I think Park do a bit. Springbank will source their barley, um, which traditionally in the Scotch whisk industry comes from the sort of Aberdeenshire area of Scotland, just because mm-hmm. of the climate being a lot drier. Right. Um, so Springbank buy that barley in and then malt it, but for and that's a hundred percent of the time. But for this, they've actually gone <laughs> as close to the distilleries they possibly could mm-hmm. with growing barley. It has its difficulties. Yeah, as you were saying, with the barley having a higher water content, produces a lower yield and has more work to produce that. I guess. Um, but yeah, to 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 do it some from uh, seed to bottle essentially mm. is quite a quite a good claim to a bottle of whiskey, really. Aye, because as you kind of touched on there, over the years, the barley that the barley type that distilleries use for whiskey production uh, has changed, and there's many reasons for changing, uh, which includes yield, mm. includes kind of of uh, production and stuff like that and I'll touch on that a wee bit later but this is this is made with optic barley mm-hmm. which will give you a lower yield than what most distilleries use and what I'm pretty sure Springbank use usually was uh, concerto barley yes the next whiskey we'll try is Belgravia barley and that's kind of used once in a while nowadays but I really just wanted to kind of touch on uh, the kind of more heritage barleys where Optic would fall under right, the whiskey okay. we're trying now. And really just kind of give you a run through of some of the names of the barleys that used to be used. Uh, so you had Oxbridge, not to be uh, confused with somebody that goes for to um, Oxford or Cambridge, of course. Uh, the Prisma barley, mm-hmm. uh, Chariot, Triumph, Golden Promise. They're all no longer used. Big, uh, strong barley names. Yeah, they're, really, they're, they're like yeah. Trojan names, Aye. aren't they? They're, they're good. They're good. I like them. Uh, but they're no longer used because they really just don't give enough a yield, basically. Barley is used more popular today. Of course, Concerto, I'm pretty sure, stands uh, at the top of this kind of yeah. list of most used. You've got Belgravia, Propino, Quench, Shuffle. And then, of course, there's new varieties being introduced Moonshine, Odyssey, Chronicle, Overture, all really quite cool names, I guess. But I feel we should try the whiskey Yeah, just now. I think you've been nosing it as I've been speaking. Yeah, I have. And um, I'll just touch on what the cask makeup of this um, whiskey is. Springbank are fairly good at, if you want to find out the exact rough, well, I suppose rough numbers, but they give you a sort of breakdown of what it is. And it's 77% bourbon. Uh, 20% sherry. Now, traditionally, Springbank's all are also sherry casks. So I would presume it's 20% all are also sherry. Uh, right. Very rarely do they touch into the other types of sherry. And then 3% port. Okay. So a small little port note in there. Um, but yeah, on the nose, I mean, you do pick up that typical sort of Springbank note. It's got a little bit of saltiness, a little bit of waxiness in there as well. You're sort of a coastal dram. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I don't know whether it's the thought that it is a local barley that you start thinking, oh, well, you, you start smelling these sort of barley-like yeah, notes. cereal notes. Cereal notes, a um, lot of honey, syrupy, um, some dried fruits. But because Springbank, as, we, as we've as we spoken previously, 
when they tasted the long row. Um, this is lightly peated, very lightly peated, mm-hmm. um, where long row is the heavier peated whiskey. But you do get a little bit of that sort of leathery mustiness in there as well, sort of like farmyard, sort of, I was going to say like manure sort of yeah. nose to it, um, grassy and quite herbally as well. What do you think? Yeah, so initially, as soon as I take a nose, I get that kind of Campbelltown smell, that farmyard, barnyard. Mm. I like to call it the Campbelltown funk. Mm. It's real distinctive. It's not the strongest whiskey Campbelltown funk I've ever tasted, no. but it, yeah, it reminds me of home. I would, I actually, re- I would actually say, sorry about it, but I'd actually say, near the Glen Scotia, 14 year old. I think it's sitting number three or whatever they mm. opened. I'd actually say it's probably got more Camelton funk about mm. it. Um, yeah, but yeah, it is kind of distinctive. But again, on the nose, I'm getting green apples. It's quite fresh. Mm-hmm. I'm getting that cereal note, and I think it's important that we do touch on this, albeit briefly, is that these older types of barley, which were phased out and mm-hmm. not used anymore, were phased out because they didn't produce enough yield. Mm-hmm. An argument that a lot of people have, yeah. that our friends over in Waterford Distillery have, is that when you increase yield, yeah. you often sacrifice flavour. Right, okay. Now, it's not... You've got many processes in the whiskey uh, mm. distilling process, uh, but it's not totally unreasonable to think that you'll get some cereal notes yeah. because you're making it with a cereal. You're making yeah. it with malted yeah. barley. So this is a this is a barley type optic which has less a yield than others like concerto. Mm-hmm. So it almost makes common sense to say that you will get a greater cereal note from this barley. Yeah, is it because we know this fact? Yeah, there's probably, maybe. Yeah, but it's quite a nice cereal note. But it's also it's quite a high proportion of um, bourbon casks. Yeah, in this. Um, in this bottle, well, in this, uh, the whole spirit in general. So the cereal sort of notes are sort of vanillas and creaminess and stuff. They all sort of are similar types of notes that you can get, I would say, because it's bourbon. So that influence is still there. Then the sort of sheriness comes through. I mean, to yeah. pick out 3% port. Yeah, you oft- I would say you often find with kind of maybe predominantly bourbon cask whiskies, you maybe get a more accurate representation of the spirit itself. Yeah. Springbank is often better young. I mean, if somebody offers you a 21-year-old Springbank, don't turn it down. <laughs> but you can get some really good six, seven, eight-year-old Springbanks. Yeah. If any of you have been lucky enough to go to the cage in the Cannonhead shop in Campbelltown, yeah. you'll find kind of cast samples that are that young. Mm-hmm. And some of the best ones I've had have been like seven-year-old bourbon hogshead. Yeah. Maybe you can really get more boring Re- than that. Reef, reef it's like bourbon, bourbon hogshead. Refill bourbon aye. barrel. Pale as see-through. But with Springbank, aye. that's like, I want to try it. I know yeah. everybody goes mad for sherried Springbanks, and those, those are great as well. Yeah. But that younger Springbank tends not completely You think young. it comes down to the spirit actually being slightly thicker as well? Yeah, I think when you have a spirit that is of such high quality... Yeah. Uh, you can have it a bit younger, yeah. and I think, uh, sorry, Springbank and its kind of self, the character of the spirit, yeah. the mouthfeel of the spirit, it's great young, but it's also it's great, it's great all ages, isn't it? Yeah, I think, but it's, I think I'd put I'd I'd agree with you in the sense that it's it's more palatable than other whiskies mm. at a younger age, five, six, right. seven year old sort of age, and it's almost more interesting when it's younger because you're getting a real representation of what this 
spirit is like. I yeah. mean, if again, if any of you have been lucky enough to try Springbank New Make, yeah, which I have done on a tour, it's an extremely fruity, mm. extremely flavoursome New Make, yeah. and it's uh, well worth a try. And if you go on a Campbellton tour, you realise that you can ask the tour guide. It's all right if I have a wee taste of that, and probably more than likely than not, they'll say, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can have a wee try. Yeah, definitely. I took a wee taste there. Um, I started to, to pick up a little bit more of the the, the sherry cask notes and the um, raisin sultanas, some grapes, cherries, but then again, it's still getting that slight husky sort of maltiness as well, um, coming through. Typical Springbank. I, th- I put the sort of the the peat or the smoke in a in a Springbank down to more like a campfire. A, a Dying embers of a fire, ashiness, um, very very subtle in the background. Um, something that's so high in ABV, fifty six point two. It's quite a high ABV Springbank. It's not spirit driven. Um, I think we've commented before how when you have cash strength, you're not wanting to be full blown spirit. Yeah. But you do like there is a flavour there that is spirit. Yeah. Uh, and there is an alcohol flavour. Yeah, and uh, it's got a little touch of it, but not overbearing, and it's not taking over any of the sort of multi notes that we've we've come out with already i've added a wee drop of water to it because i was quite intrigued to see how that impacted the nose i think it does what you would think with a kind of uh cash strength whiskey mm-hmm. it gives you a more kind of fruity burst i was getting a lovely kind of fresh melon yeah papaya almost a kind of kind of tropical fruit mm-hmm. a lovely syrupy um kind of note on the nose and then on the palate Getting that Springbank, that Campbelltown spiciness that you, we've we've experienced before, and the Glen Scotia and the experience kind of uh, with the Long Row as well. You get that kind of funk, you get a lovely herbiness, kind of rosemary, basil, slight bike shop flavour. Bike shop. Are you talking like uh, a sort of rubberiness? That yeah, sort of thing? slight rubber. I'm not saying it's a totally rubbery whiskey, but that kind of slight rubber. WD forty oil, uh, not like an overbearing sulfury note. No, no, not not at all. Really, just coming in the kind of the back end of the palate. You know, it's mm. um, subtle, but it was definitely there. Mm. So, with uh, a Springbank, as we probably touched on before in previous podcasts, it is always non chill filtered, no added color. I think it's pretty clear when it comes to Springbank. They they value the. I don't want to say the word integrity because that's obviously a, it's an opinion that or some, but they they don't chill filter and they don't add color. And I was actually when I was looking at the bottle, I would almost be guaranteed that they would put it on there. And then looking at the packaging as well, and I couldn't see it on the packaging either. Right. And I just find it quite funny. The you if somebody told you Springbank's non chill filter, no added color, they've got that sort of, I guess, trusted. What's the word I'm looking for? A belief that yeah, they, it's not they don't mm. need to put it on the ball, um, and it's just funny because you see certain distilleries or certain companies um, removing non-chill filtered from their bottle, and the uh, the public's assumption that I could see on Facebook would, was that it is now chill filtered. Right. Okay. Yeah. But so there was no belief that we don't need to say it. So with Springbank whiskeys, obviously, aye, it goes without saying. Aye. It's assumed. There's no point wasting uh, the letter on on, on the label. Aye. What's, aye. The, what's the point of using ink? Aye. Basically, it we don't need to say, this is the most natural product we can give you yeah. in a bottle. Here it is. But I suppose... But with other distilleries, they're beginning to remove... Uh, like, is that recently? Yeah, that's fairly recent. That's about a couple of weeks ago. 
whether it's a good or bad thing, I guess it's it, it's obviously up to individual people to decide. But I guess the this distillery or the company that now owns this distillery have got have tried to take the 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 brand to a different level. Yeah. Um, a different level in terms of trying to rival, um, let's say, McAllen or the Glenlivet or something like that. They've tried to take that brand up there. Yeah. Okay. And to do that. Well, you need to produce more. You need consistency of bottling, um, a lower ABV to sell into different markets and um, travel retail and things like that. And um, but it's just interesting. Some brands will remove non-chill filtered, and people automatically assume it's non. It's now chill filtered. But Springbank haven't even got it on the bottle, and there'll be other um, whiskey bottles, whiskey companies that will not put non-chill filtered, and people will know it's not chill filtered, mm-hmm. like. I can't remember if Nick Nien had it was non-chill filtered on the bottle. I think I, they did. But reading about Nick Nien, I would definitely assume it was non-chill filtered as Aye. well. You know what I mean? It's an interesting topic, the kind of uh, unchill filtered debate. Well, it was interesting to me because I think I've made my kind of uh, points clear on it that I sh- believe that kind of every whiskey should be unchill filtered and natural colour. Or at least be open and honest about doing it. Like, don't try to hide the fact. Yeah. Don't don't put unchill filtered in the bottle and not natural colour because that makes me wonder why you're doing that. Yeah, and I think we. I, do, I guess my opinion's always been that if a, if a whiskey's good, a whiskey's good. If it's non-chill filtered and added colour, and I still like it, I still like it. Yeah, would I have as much investment in a uh, a whiskey or the company that does it? If they did that, probably not. But. A whiskey's a whiskey. If it's nice, it's nice. But There's a lot of whiskeys out there that are chill filtered and to have added colour that are nice. Like yeah, I guess, even, it, even I guess it comes down to who they're who they're selling to. Uh, like who is their market that they're actually looking at, and does that market that they're looking at value mm. honesty or in or non chill filtered cash strength, no added colour products? Yeah, because it'd be. I don't know. Let's let's take a Johnny Walker Red, right? And who drinks Johnny Walker Red? If if Johnny Walker suddenly came out and said, "Oh, it's natural colour, it's non-chill filtered, and it's cash strength," it's of no interest to the people that are, you'd assume it's no interest to the people that are drink, drinking Johnny Walker Red. So I guess it all just comes down to the market that you're trying to market your whiskeys to. Yeah, I guess so. I don't. I, th- I just think as a, as a, a consumer myself, I look for the most natural product, I yeah. look for the most natural whiskey, and I <clears throat> don't want to kind of labour the point of this, because yeah. I'm sure the people who have listened and will listen have heard it all before, have yeah. heard it all before and they'll yeah. have their own opinion on it, which is totally fine, but the whiskies we're trying today, don't say it on the bottle, but we can probably assume with 100% ac- uh, kind of accuracy and um, kind of we're going to determine that they're definitely not chill filtered and they definitely don't have added colour. Yeah. I think one of the kind of most noticeable things about this whiskey is that the colour would suggest that it's bourbon matured. It doesn't really have much of a sherry yeah. influence in the colour. Yeah, if we didn't have a note of it, I guess, that, that had that slight influence of sherry and port, that um albeit a smaller influence of port. If you didn't have a note of that, you would just you would just assume it was bourbon. Yeah, you I think d- so. You then knowing that there's some sherry in it, you would then assume it's probably maybe a second or a third fill, but I would say probably second fill or also, because um, it isn't that dominant either. Mm. Even 
20% all or also. If that was a first film, all or also, Hulk said a punching or something, it would have a it would have an effect on the on the colour more than it, it, it appears to. Of course. Right, will we move on to the finish of this whiskey? Yeah, go for it, why not? So what are you picking up there in the finish? I think it's quite a long lingering finish. Yeah. I think you get a whiff of smoke. I think that's the kind of most present part of the smoke is in the finish there. Mm-hmm. Sweet honey, and getting a lovely kind of more spiciness to it, kind of cinnamon, that kind of oaky spiciness that everybody's familiar with if you've had a kind of oaky whiskey, you know, yeah. it's got that spiciness. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm probably following more along the lines of, I one of your uh, tropical fruits, um, and picking up a little bit of lemon zesty, again, probably following in that sort of peppery mouthfeel in the finish, it's that really sort of peppery spiciness, I suppose that comes down to that. Oakiness again, a little bit of nutmeg, a little bit of ginger. Ginger's a good one. Ginger is a I good one. thought of that. Yeah, stole that off you. Um, again, the honey and a little bit of that Camelton funk that we speak of. But um, to be honest, it's probably what I expected from it. Is it a is it a good whiskey? Yeah. Is it a standout whiskey? I, I, I don't think I don't think so. I think it's just a good dram. Yeah. Um, there's nothing you're tasting in it and going, fuck, that's. That's a that's a great great dram. Could I drink more of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great Campbellton whiskey. It's yeah, a, well, it's a really good Campbellton whiskey. But does it stand up against, say, like a Springbank twelve-year-old cast strength that there's been many releases of? I'd say I'd say not. I'd say I'd say it's good. It's probably very good. Um, but don't think it quite hits the height of a kind of great Springbank. No, no, I would, I would, I would, I would definitely agree with you there. Okay. Over to Ronan with the whiskey news. Um, I don't have any whiskey news this week. Um, pretty much just like last week and the uh, the week before. Um, but you've probably got something. Yeah, well, last week or the week before, uh, there was the San Francisco Whiskey Awards. Oh yeah. Um, is that the one where everybody gets them? I think it's so. like a primary school sports day. I think so. I've no uh, our friends in Scotia, yeah, uh, won the best single malt in the world. A twenty-five-year-old. Uh, we'll we'll take a wee bottle and review it. Aye, of course. We'll see and, if we and see if it gets to the top of early. <laughs> the most important achievement. What what I did notice from the San Francisco Whiskey Awards was uh, whiskey. Well, a distillery that we'd previously um, the podcast yeah. about was uh, Waterford. Yes. And they won Best Irish Whiskey and Best Single Malt Irish Whiskey with their Hookhead, uh, Hookhead Edition 1.1. Double gold medals in Hookhead and Dunmore and gold medals in Dunbell and Organic uh, Gaia, if I've pronounced that The G-A-Y-A. Right. No. Not Gaia. Uh, G-A-I-A. Ah, yeah. Go Gaia. But um, what kind of got me thinking about that was... a. A few days previous to that, I was watching something online mm-hmm. with four kind of whiskey people who were discussing Waterford. Yeah. And what I found quite interesting about it was that these were four people from different walks of life. Right. Um, different nationalities, I think, as well, different ages. And they all had the same opinion on Waterford. Right. Uh, and they're all agreeing on the same opinion. And their opinion was that it wasn't that tasty. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. It's that can be your opinion. Yeah. We thought it was quite different. 
We thought it was tasty, but we, did, we thought I it th- was different. I think, um, vaguely going back to that podcast, I think we thought it was like an, like a good whiskey and it was enjoyable, but it was very, very interesting. And it was probably more interesting than enjoyable. It was very different. It was, as we said, it was like a whiskey we hadn't tried before. But the next opinion yeah. was that it was too expensive. And this really got me thinking. What, right. How much did we buy that Waterford for? £70? £69? Well, th- we ordered it from um, our friends at Tyne Drum Whiskey. Our good pals. I think it was 60 65 quid. And then plus delivery. So yeah, probably just under 70 quid. But all these people agreed that it was too expensive. And now I thought, is that actually true? And I do agree that single malt whiskey at 69 quid for a 70CL is... Like more expensive non age statement. Non age statement. Well, it's not age statement on the bottle, but transparency is there and Oh yeah, on the eye online. Yeah. So it got me thinking, right? From a new distillery, um, a new single malt distillery, albeit in Ireland, but yep. similar yeah. to a Scotch whiskey distillery, they'll have the same issues with purchasing and pricing and stuff like that. So it got me thinking, is that actually true? And it took me to look at other releases from new distilleries. Yes. So Isla Rassi Distillery, they mm-hmm. just released the inaugural uh, release. Okay. Hundred quid. For Ar- an on age. Yeah. For right, an on okay. age. Right. Okay. Arbiki, they just released a bottle at one hundred and thirty quid. From more established and older distilleries, Lafroig, they put their normal whiskey in a sherry cask, sixty to seventy quid that costs. Right. Another new distillery that you may have heard of, you may have not. Annandale Distillery. Yeah. Three-year-old, best part of 100 quid. Yeah. And what I started looking at these distilleries was, where do you get your added value? Right, okay. And that's probably debatable, and I don't want to debate all these distilleries, but what I want to look at is where you get your added value from Waterford, and if you could class it as too expensive. Yes. Are you not getting added value by a bottle of Waterford for the story itself, the terroir code, you know the farmers getting a good price on growing this grain. Yeah. You know the land isn't just being used for created uh, a commodity grain purposes. Yeah. Uh, they're promoting good farming practices in terms of using fewer pesticides, fertilizers, so organic gr- growth. Yeah. Which is undoubtedly better for the environment. And would be more expensive. And is more expensive. Yeah. Hence why it's. Probably it's a slightly more expensive bottling, but is it because I've just listed all those whiskies that have been released? Is that not added value for you? Because that's added value for me. Well, I would, yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. And now I didn't, I didn't particularly think that the Waterford was overly expensive. For what for for the taste of it, if somebody just says here we'll give you a, a non-age statement whiskey that bangs on about terroir, a word I didn't know how to say. And yeah, I would go, all right, okay, that's quite expensive. But when you do compare it to other new distilleries and the first releases, oh, then it, it's not overly it's not overly that expensive. I suppose the whiskey, the Waterford we were trying wasn't one of their first releases, but... Yeah, it wasn't uh, an inaugural but release. Uh, yeah. And another thing, a buzzword I know as a whiskey drinker, mm-hmm. and I'm always looking for, and I'm pleased when a distillery shows transparency, provenance, they take off the cloak of mystery around where the grain's from and, yeah. oh, it's, uh, it goes into a magic warehouse for this amount of years yeah. and these things happen. Waterford have adopted a policy of total honesty. This is where we get our grain. 
down to the field that it's grown in. This is where we do the process and this is how we do it. This is where we cast the spirit and this is where we store it for X amount of years. And they'll tell you that between three and four was the one we tried. Yeah. But we'll also provide you with the exact date of the fill in the cask, the exact date of bottling, mm-hmm. the exact cask makeup down to the code that's on the cask. We'll even give you an interview with the farmer. Is that not added value in terms of transparency that I know as a whiskey uh, whiskey drinker? This um, this video or thing you were watching, were the people that didn't, they thought it was too expensive? Were they banging on about added value? They didn't think they were getting that. They didn't think they were getting value for money. But even the, you look at the other whiskey that we tried in that podcast, the the Method in Madness. Was that the French chestnut cast? Yeah, that's that podcast still to be released. But oh right, um, well that was more expensive, and you didn't get anything from it. Exactly. It was a a a whiskey that didn't tell you anything really. Really made me think that people sometimes are just looking for issues when it comes to whiskey and i thought it was weird that four different people different ages different nationalities um maybe some of them had the same nationality but there was definitely different nationalities within that within the panel um different walks of life they can have the exact same opinion on a distillery and that doesn't mean that you can't have the same opinion of course but it was almost like they were saying it was fact when it wasn't it was just an opinion and that got me thinking that maybe one of these people is more effect- thinking. Well, I was sitting there thinking. Aye. And I was sitting there watching and I was I was thinking when I was watching. Um that potentially one of these people is effectively the kid that owns the ball in the playground. Right. The park when you were younger. Okay. And because he owns the ball, everybody's got to do what he says and agree with what he, he says. And when that person speaks or when that person decides that the other person can't play because he owns the ball. They suddenly start playing his way. Everybody else starts agreeing. And then, well, if he didn't have the ball, he would just have the same opinion as everybody else. And other people would have a more varied opinion and folk wouldn't yeah. magically have that exact same thought. And that, I think, is a feature of the whiskey industry at large. Right. The so-called honest reviewers radical masks are slipping to reveal the same skewed up face of the traditionalist that we were all used to yeah and know very well the only thing transparent about these people is their agenda or lack of one which is the status quo Mm. what do you think of that i think you're entitled to your opinion i guess i don't really know who or what you're on about in terms of who these people are or anything like that but um, it's not even an attack on these people it sounds like an attack but it's um, not it's not it's not a personal (laughs) attack it's just when we were speaking i thought that is this not exactly what waterford are trying to go against like this kind of uh, i did find funny with that waterford did you see that the this the study came out about the terroir and how it affected basically backed up what the whole um waterford whole idea was and then um, one of the guys that's heavily involved invested in Waterford or whatever kicked off in some interview saying that no one paid the study any attention that Waterford paid to have the study done yeah. um, I found that quite funny um, I do think there's a there's there's a tendency for people not to want to 
in any walk of life they stand out from what seems to be the norm and if one mm-hmm. person says it's this then everybody goes ah well that must be it yeah and that's not necessarily true and having an opinion that's different to somebody can often lead to debate but having a debate doesn't mean an argument yeah and it definitely doesn't mean somebody has to be a winner yeah uh, you can have a informed debate about a subject especially in whiskey especially about distillery that's so transparent yeah is it is that all your whiskey news done and yeah that's just the whiskey news and that's something i kind of picked up on so the next whiskey we're trying is again it's another springbank 10 year old local barley this is the the most recent release that we worked out to be the sixth release in there i think i think seven yeah the whole the whole buzz with the local barley's it started a few years ago was that it was a five part series and that they started off with a 16 year old we worked this out so it was like 16 year old then it dropped to an 11 yeah. and then i think it dropped to a 10 and then a nine year old yeah. and everybody was kicking off thinking yeah. the, next one, the next one's gonna be a known age um and then it, i think it went back up to a 10 the and then this is the next one yeah so the 10 we tried earlier on in the podcast yeah was the fifth so yeah, we think this is the sixth. Yeah, potentially the seventh. If we missed out, I can't one. remember uh, when it when the local barleys were dropping in ages the sixteen to eleven to ten to nine. It was there was a wee bit of a freak out from a lot of people. Are, are these just going to get younger and younger? I can remember the chatter that is there going to be like a twenty-one to finish it or a twenty-year-old local barley? I would I would think that sixteen is probably one of the older local barleys that they have maturing but you think when the 16 year old local barley came out so it was the first one if we're saying this is the sixth release so that was six years ago seven years ago six seven years ago so you're then looking what 2015 right yeah to then go if there was a 21 or a 22 year old local barley coming out you're then into the 90s right Mm. which it was not a good time for the whiskey industry in general, but wasn't a good time for Springbank Distillery in general either. It wasn't no, doing particularly well in the 90s and, and really picked up towards, say, 2005, 2006, 2007 or whatever. But it, it wasn't a great time for the whiskey industry in general. So to, to, to spend extra money for a product that gives you a lower yield in a time where the whiskey industry is performing pretty badly would be quite, well, you would say daft. Uh, it would be quite... Um, I mean, you could probably a waste of money at the time. I okay, you could sell a bottle of it for um, w- well, name a price. You could probably sell a bottle of it, but at the time, it would be pretty wild. To, uh, I would highly doubt there's going to be one of that age coming out um, anytime soon. Maybe in the next five years or something. Five after five years. Yeah, well, you never, you never know. You never know. Yeah, so ten-year-old Springbank local barley, most recent release with mentioned earlier on if you were to check auction prices of this bottle you would think we were absolutely scotch whiskey auctions um lot number that's either um, if you go on <laughs> uh, go on and bid in that one pushing the 600 mark lot number 411 um yeah you think we're mad but we're about to try this whiskey and let you know what we think about it. i'm sure a lot of people a lot of whiskey drinkers would agree that the more bottles of this that are opened and tried and shared and we will share this with our whiskey pals and stuff yeah. like that so there will be enjoyment out of it. But also, the more bottles that are opened, the higher the auction prices uh, go. Exactly. There's only 8,500 of these. So there's 8,499 somewhere. Um, 
and the prices they're all in the auction <laughs> they're all in the auction right? <laughs> yeah so 10 year old 55.6 percent it's uh belgravia barley distilled june 2010 bottled mm. december 2020 number of bottles you've just mentioned 8500 and it's from Glen Craig's Farm. Glen Craig's Farm. I know a little bit about Glen Craig's Farm. Do Doing tell. a little bit of research on this. And um, again, local local farm in Kintyre, but is in fact a farm that's been family owned. Just a little bit like Springbank, family owned since 1828. Springbank, Glen Craig's Farm has been family owned for quite a long time as well. Yep. How long? 1869 was the first time that the Glen, the owners of Glen Craig's Farm started farming. Is it the Craigs of Glen Craigs? Uh, no. Um, so actually, farmers from Beath in 1869 moved to Kintyre and took over Noch Riach Farm, right? Uh, and then in 1971, Glen Craig Farm was initially bought to feed, um, this is quite interesting, 15 horses, right? Glen Craig's Farm, where this barley was grown, this Belgrave barley was grown, was bought um, to feed 15 horses. Those 15 horses were part of the oldest postal service in the UK at the time. Right, okay. Yeah. That is interesting. These 15 horses ran letters from Campbelltown to Tarbert. That's bonkers. Aye. Where they would then meet, what, did folk from Campbelltown only send letters to Tarbert? Or would then I presume they were then passed, passed on to other horses. But this Aye. was the longest and one of the oldest um, postal services. And it was also the longest running as well. Um, only ended last week. <laughs> they've moved on to like owls and stuff in Campbelltown haven't they yeah pretty much so yeah it was the Glen Craig's farm was initially bought to feed the 15 horses used in the longest uh, how much did these horses eat to need a whole farm probably quite a lot it was the youngs at the time that owned the farm and they used the 15 horses to um, do the Tarbert mail coach it was the longest running mail coach in the UK 1871 to 1913 it ran it's a long time that's a long time um yeah, so then in 1876, um, founder, founder Robert Young, uh, son of William for 28 years, um, moved to Glen Craig's and then started producing, um, well, basically cows and other sort of farmyards. Started producing cows. <laughs> started producing cows. Cows started producing cows. They Aye. just gave the cows the feed, um, but the, the meal coach. And the barley was to give the cows uh, decent feed in the winter, I would yeah. suppose, when they went out in pasture on the... On the green grass of Kintyre. Yes, that is correct. Will we move on to the whiskey? What are you getting on the nose there, Ronan? I mean, similar to the to the the previous uh, Springbank local barley, you get that slight Campbelltown funk to it. But what you tend to get with this, because it is 100% all or also sherry casks, you're getting a lot more dark fruits and dried fruits of that as well, with sort of a, a, a soft, sort of leathery sort of tannin as well in there. Um, raisins, a little bit of mocha and sort of coffee as well. Very sort of dark fruits, cherries, um, but then slightly drying as well, which is this soft little touch of sort of heathery smoke, heathery smoke, kind of like campfire, ashy smoke in the background as well. What about yourself? I get the 15 horses stables Aye. on the nose. That kind of barnyardy mm. smell. I do get that sherry, that Oloroso sherry. It's not it's not overpowering though. It's not got that sherry bomb that mm-hmm. folk call it. That kind of term that I'm not too fond of myself, but I've just used it. I think um, sherry bombs. I would always associate uh, if somebody described a, a sherry bombed whiskey with what PX. I would often put that down to PX casks yeah. and not um, 
No oloroso. Oloroso is usually more um, drying. Yeah. And there's a little bit of sweetness in there as well. Um, but not, not like a thick, juicy sweetness like a PX, but a more like a fresh sweetness. Yeah, it's, it, it's, got, it's got a dryness to it, I would think. It has got a fruitiness, but it's quite subtle, isn't it? Like it's got that Campbelltown, barnyardy flavour. But it's really inviting. It, it has a really inviting nose. Um, I'm intrigued to try it, and I'm going to try it right now. So, going back to the, the Glen Craig's farm, um, it's now the fourth generation farm owner. It's a, a man called David Young. He's the current farm owner and would have been the, the farmer who would have set aside the field to grow the barley that... Um, Springbank have used uh, here in in your recent ventures. If you don't know where Glen Craig's farm is, um, but you've been to Campbelltown fairly recently, um, and this is more towards you, Todd, than the, than the listeners. When you're driving into Campbelltown mm-hmm. on the left hand side, you would see the sunflowers growing. Yeah. On the roadside, that's Glen Craig's farm. Is that just at the turn off to the Campbelltown Airport? Yeah. And so the 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 windmill yeah. um, production. Yeah. So. Um, just sort of after that, you would get the, these tall sunflowers sitting on the left-hand side. That's Glen Craig's farm. So if you're going to Campbelltown in the near future, I do believe they still grow these sunflowers. Um, that's where Glen Craig's farm is. On the palate, mouth-coating, oily, just what you'd expect from a spring bank. It's quite mouth... Like, it's going to be a kind of oxymoron drying, but it's also like coating, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It hasn't got an alcoholic flavour. What were you saying the strength of this one was again, Scott? 55.6. 55.6. Yeah. Doesn't taste alcohol a lot yeah. at all. It's got it's fruity, but really kind of rich, stewed brambles, dark fruits. It's almost quite like a, a deep red wine, almost. Like a kind yeah. of claret. Yeah, I could, I could um, see that, yeah. You know, it's it's quite interesting. I think it's more interesting than the previous local bar that we tried. Yeah, I think probably because it's quite different. It'd be quite different to a lot of spring banks they release. Because um, as we we're saying, this is fully Oloroso Sherry. There's not many spring banks that are just one specific cast type. They might do limited releases, they've done bourbon or rum or whatever, but really, do they release something as just Sherry? 15 year old is probably the the only one. Fully matured Sherry, I think it is, but. Uh, the, rest, the rest, it would be. A combination of bourbon and sherry. Yeah. Even even their new 18s or 21s, they've been quite experimental, I would guess. Mm-hmm. It's like 50% bourbon, 40% Oloroso. And a tiny and bit of rum or Madeira rum, or Marsala or something rum, like that. Yeah. Port, all these kind of different... It's kind of like... It's almost like a recipe, like we're going yeah. to try all this. Well, actually, a little bit like the previous local barley. It was 77% this. Aye. 20% um, sherry and then 3% port. Um, where this, they've just, just sherry and albeit the colour is bumping up that nice little auction house price. But it actually creates a very, very different whiskey that yeah. you would tend to get from Springbank. Especially a Springbank of this age, if you were to compare it to the, the standard 10-year-old they do, which is sort of widely regarded as one of the best entry-level whiskies you can get for yeah. like 40 quid. Mm-hmm then this is completely different and shows a completely different side to Springbank. What are you getting on the palate? Palate, I started to get this little sort of tobacco-y, rubbery note, sort of what you were on about earlier. You you described it as a bike shop, but um, I would almost say not not overbearing sulfury note, mm-hmm. but a nice little sort of tinge to it. Um, a little bit of smoky in there, sort of toasted oats, a little bit of oiliness in there as well. Um, maybe that's just sort of the coastalness, but... Again, sort of old book 
sort of old library sort of that kind of mustiness coming know, out. Like if it was a, that's the sound daft, but say like in a pub, if they've got like leather seating or something, like uh, it's just like that. It's been there since like pre-smoking pre ban or uh, something, and they've never bothered it actually seen it in any way. The seats have seen a few things. Aye, exactly. That's what you're getting. This this West case. I seen a few things. Aye. I don't and know. It's time. And, and it's, it's time. And it's time. And it's ten years. But you you do start to get that slightly like chocolate raisins, that sort of fruit and nut chocolate as well. Um, so I guess it's is it it's pretty much everything you would think. You're fully sherried, lightly peated springbank. Aye. It's it's, a, it's, it's a, that it's but a ten year old sherried springbank, aye. and it's uh, doing exactly what it said on the tin. Yeah. What what I could find quite interesting about this is the obviously the barley type mm. Belgravia barley uh, I mentioned earlier on that that's a barley that is used more common than optic but it still won't be as common as the kind of concerto which yeah, is the Diablo, usual things like that. barley type and I touched on the barley breeding I really just wanted to speak about the reasons for barley breeding basically why yeah. do you breed the barley that is of superior quality. You're not going to breed a barley that's of inferior quality, of course, but barley's kind of evolved over time and there's been many reasons for this. Just Would you say evolved or would, would you say manufactured? Yeah, it's, it's manufactured and it's evolved, but nowadays it's kind of totally manufactured, but back in the day, it was out of necessity. But and I mean, you, you have distilleries that are producing towards the 20 million litres a year mark yeah but barley's always going to sort of be a, a manufactured yeah it was bar barley now as it is in America with their grain industry it's yeah. a commodity yeah um, there's no personality there's not much local barleys yeah you see it with Waterford in Ireland you see it with uh, TX whiskey uh, in Texas yeah. which are doing everything only Texas they yeah, they're really the Texas mentality. Yeah, I've been intrigued to try the whiskey. Yeah, um, I've been reading the Head Distillers book um, on the terroir of kind of Texas whiskey Texas and his whiskey. journey to kind of create a truly Texan whiskey. Yeah, uh, which is very interesting. There'd be no added value in that bottle, though. None at all. Aye. None at all. Getting the lo local product. Why? Why would you ever go to a local farmer's market? <laughs> You know, if there was no added value in there being screw a lo the, screw locals. That's yeah. it. Aye. Like there's no added value. Like you go to a local farmers market, a local fish market, you pay a wee bit extra, but what you know is you're putting. You know who I've always liked? Conglomerates, Aye. big massive machine factory distilleries. They're Aye. my favourite. I like battery hen chickens. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite thing in the world. They have free range. Corn-fed chickens. Uh, ah, they're getting it too easy. They've got an attitude. They've got an attitude. I know what they're eating. Yeah. I know they're eating corn, so I'm not. I'm not bothered about them. What I want is commodity chicken, uh, commodity grain whiskey. Anyway, we digress. Uh, uh, the reasons for barley breeding over the year are quite simple. Uh, I would guess improve malting quality, mm -hmm. which is this is not as simple but increases a uh, diastatic power yeah which basically means increased enzyme creation enzymes break down the starch and the barley uh to create simple fermentable sugars maltose mm -hmm. multitriose the, the sugars that you want for the process you've also got grain quality standards uh for reasons for breeding superior to barley and this refers to kind of 
grain husk type, kernel weight, kernel brightness, percentage of protein in the grain, which is important if you're producing barley for animal feed or for distilling or brewing. It's not that important to the consumer. A consumer doesn't really... Is that, you, did you say the standards that are set, they need to meet those standards? Yeah, they need, need to, to meet these standards. Although, I presume they are a good thing. Who sets those standards? Uh, well, the... I can't remember the name of them exactly, but it's basically like the Barley Commission. Aye, uh, who, and who also funds the old the Barley mul- Commission? Oh, no, and also the maltsters will set a standard for yeah. when they get barley coming into them. They're not going to accept... Sounds like a racket to me. Well, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the same as... I'm sure we touched on it before. It's the same as the milk, you know what I mean? It's the same as the milk. You you need to have... If, you, if you're a farmer and you yeah. send milk to the creamery or to the milk house or whatever they're Aye. called. You need to meet certain standards so then it can be blended with all the other milks yeah, that come yeah, in yeah, and then yeah. it's sent out. So basically that's what barley is grown for to meet yeah. these standards, which then in turn meet the standards of the distillery or the brewery. Yeah. They don't want a substandard. Uh, they don't want substandard. They don't want a barley that comes in that's... I guess the standards that each distillery has are slightly different. Um, Not in terms of, say, PPM of the barley or whatever, but... I think when you're buying like commodity grain, yeah, the standards will all be quite similar, yeah, uh, or you'll literally just be paying more for for, for less quality, yeah, yeah, for 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 better quality mm-hmm. in terms of kernel weight, kernel brightness, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's quality in terms of yield, yeah. Um, you also breed barley for disease uh, resistance, also for prevention of spreading disease, mm-hmm. uh, and then. You breed it to be able to withstand harsh environmental uh, factors, yeah. or as it's referred to, uh, it's kind of abiotic uh, stresses, which is like drought and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like you want a barley that can grow on the west coast of Scotland, or you want a bar, you want a corn that can grow in not so favourable climates in some parts of America. Yeah, uh, and these these barley's are bred to be able to to be able to do that. Hmm. Then you've got breeding for agronomic performances. We've touched agronomic performances uh, with Waterford again. Yeah. Uh, and this is such as ease of self-pollination, ease of harvest, ease to process. Can you chop it down well? Does it damage the ear? Yeah. Um, and there's hundreds of reasons why you would cross-breed barley. Yeah. Now, I'm aware you're pouring another whiskey. Yes. And we should maybe talk about the Springbank a wee bit more. Yeah, I was in, I was actually enjoying the Springbank so much um, when you were speaking there about barley. Um, I'd actually noticed that I'd finished it because um, I was just it's just a a, a good whiskey. Um, I think it's if I compared it directly with the other one we tried, I would say I would enjoy this more. I think it's a better whiskey. Yeah, I think um, it's a better whiskey than um, the first. It's a little bit more interesting um, in terms of the the flavours that you're getting and. Well, just the the difference from other spring banks, I guess, is the the big thing that's driving it for me. Um, where the 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 first local barley we tasted, I think it's probably quite similar. Um, but you've added a little bit of water there. What are you you picking up there for a ward? You know, I I kind of want to compare this to the cast round twelve year old, but I think it's a little bit less hot. The thing with the cast round twelve year old is it often can be. I've, I've felt I've had several releases over hmm. the years. And I feel that sometimes it's a little bit, 
yeah, it's just a little bit hot. It's a little bit too in your face, and you kind of forgive it because oh, this is just cash strength. Yeah, but this local barley ten year old's cash strength, and it's not. So and it doesn't have that hotness. Yeah, I would actually agree with you there. I think a better comparison, and maybe we'll do it. Maybe not a podcast in the future, but maybe we'll do it in the future. Is comparing that ten year old to a twelve year old spring bank cash strength. Yeah, um, more sherry dominated. Again, cash strength. But yeah, I would agree that the twelve year old often comes across as quite a, a, a hot whiskey. Um, where this is really well balanced, yeah, sort of well put together. Um, it's not like it's just oh, it's local barley. Everything will be okay. We'll just throw it in. Um, it seems like it's been methodically worked to be this good. What are you getting on the finish then, tasting wise? To me, um, I'm getting a slightly sort of old worn, like an, again that sort of old worn bookie note, sort of that old leathery. Um, dusty sort of mustiness as well. A um, little bit of sort of uh, stewed fruits, plums, raisins. Um, a slight sort of hay-like heatheriness as well. Sort of a, not not rough in the sense that it's bad, but a sort of wilderness sort of grassy note getting that sort of through. It's a little bit of honey and leatheriness again, as I said. But I sort of knows that. I think the, the typical things that we've previously said about the the, the nose and the palate, the the finishes, it's got the sort of the mocha, the raisins, the sultanas, the treacles, in there, heather honeys. It's got these notes in there, and and it's got the it, it it's perfectly sort of well balanced with the traditional springbank notes as well. What about you? I think I think if toffee plums were a thing, I think that's what I'd. Be tasting here, yeah. like like a toffee apple, but a plum with a plum. Yeah, yep. uh, it's got a lovely sweetness to it, lovely kind of rich, dark kind of caramel. But it's not like it's not like a caramel, like um, you know, a, a, a kind of bourbon matured whiskey. It's got that kind of rich, dark fruit, kind of almost like overripe plum. Yeah, a lovely bit of toffiness in it. S- very slight smoke. It's you're not really feeling the smoke in this. I don't think. But getting a spiciness, is a it cardamom, it's rich. It's like, I want to say like red velvet cake. That sort of richness Aye. to it. But there's a little bit of creaminess in there as well. Aye, maybe like venison. Definitely, I think you mentioned that kind of leather. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd be getting that. Like I'd, I'd off it, I actually think maybe more for the, the palate, like a smoked ham, sort of smoked meat, sort of. Mm. Um, but then it, it is quite rich as well. It's very very good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm I'm glad we opened it. Aye, definitely. Aye. Do you think much of the kind of evolution of this barley from maybe optic to Belgravia, the breeding of it, has impacted the flavour of anything? Do you think there's less a cereally note? Because or, th- or do you think that's more to do with the Oloroso sherry cask? Yeah, my way in thinking would be it's probably got more to do with the casks. I know you might think slightly different. Um, you might have a difference of opinion. But that's what we're about here. Yeah, I would probably put it more down to the casks, and maybe the oil also is hiding that note. Um, where I do think something like the previous local barley and the, the being bourbon dominated heightens that sort of cereal note. Um, I don't think oil also sherry in general has that sort of note about it, but bourbon does. Yeah, I would say um, it, it would have been interesting to have that. Like, these are two ten-year-old. Uh, local barley whiskies from Springbank and the thing we can guarantee is that the production process 
it's effectively exactly the same. Mm. So it would have been interesting if we had these two different uh, breeds of barley and matured them in the exact same type Cask, of casks and then really and same then age and everything. And then yeah. compared them and, and really seen, like, is there a kind of distinct flavour difference, terroir difference almost yeah. uh, due to the type of barley yeah. and where it was grown in Campbelltown uh, or around Campbelltown? You would then... <laughs> To take that one stage further, is you would have to to make that study not foolproof, but to make that study semi-legitimate, it would have to be two different barley types grown in the same farm, or grown on the half a field each, to then be like do the barley types affect the flavour? Ah, if you're doing different barley types, I suppose, but you could have different areas in the kind of greater geographical area. Because if you've got a farm that's down near the coast or something like that, yeah. or is slightly higher up on the mountainside, then uh, the you would just suspect there's something different. Or could uh, have an do, you want, do you want to hear about uh, barley breeding techniques? Have you got time? Yes, I've got time. Go on, tell us about your, your barley breeding techniques. So, barley breeding techniques. Popular ones, you've got pedigree, mm-hmm. a back cross, top cross, intercross. It's like a cross. Yeah, all the, all, all the crosses. And more frequently used today uh, is kind of the double haploid method. Now, I, I don't really want to get into all of them. I just want to point out a couple. Mm-hmm. Pedigree bead breeding, you've mentioned crafts. That is done basically just like how dogs were bred. Creme de la creme. You see a trait in one dog mm-hmm. or barley breed you like, and then you cross it with another dog that has a trait that you also like. Yeah. That's the exact same with barley. After years of breeding, yeah. uh, you'll have the finished article, mm-hmm. basically. Double haploid, now this is the interesting one. Another kind of marker-assisted selection methods of breeding barley is where you begin to bring in uh, ethics. And there's questions of ethics. Uh, I don't know if you know of CRISPR. Do you know CRISPR? I think that's the way you can kind of pick out the perfect traits in your newly born chi- well new to be born child you right, can okay. uh, pick traits from your the mother and the father it's basically oh like designer babies designer babies yeah, yeah. so the uh, the beginning to really question that and and kind of crop growing and also barley growing question specifically they're questioning it, it in crops before they're actually questioning it and um well i don't think you can do it in many countries i think you right. can do it in china i'm not sure if i don't think you can do it in america i don't definitely don't think you can it do sounds it. like the sort of thing you could do in america no i think they drew the line at that <laughs> that's <laughs> where they drew the line all the other problems i think they drew the line at that uh so that's kind of gene selective breeding yeah um is Definitely the next step after that is, uh, yeah, kind of genetically modified barley. Uh, I, don't, I, no, I don't know for certain, but I really don't think it is done in the UK. I definitely don't think it's done in American whiskey making. Yeah. Um, but we're basically just like half a step off doing it. And then we've, we've to go from Optic to Belgravia, probably had to do something that was... If you if you explained it, you would be like, that is basically just genetic modification. Genetic, yeah, it's GM. Uh, so it raises that but question. Yeah, but then I guess sort of the game's gone. Like it's already happening to suit bigger companies that need yield, yield, yield. yield. So yeah. it's um, it's an argument that probably should have been had um, years and years ago that this shouldn't be happening. 
the game's already gone. I mean, every distillery will be using barley that has been genetically modified in some way, shape, or form using different techniques. Yeah, maybe not quite totally has the GM standard, but has like double double haploid, yeah, um, marker-assisted sel- selective breeding and stuff like that. It's yeah, it's it's like if if somebody was if if domestic dogs weren't a thing right now. If, they, if we didn't have them for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Thousands of years. Like where this is going, right? The selective breeding of dogs and the overbreeding of dogs... Would now be questioned. ...would be probably banned. Yeah. Uh, to, like, just interbreed these dogs. Because so a lot of your, your pedigree dogs have now got inherited genetic disformities that are sometimes life-threatening, mm-hmm. and they can be life-threatening to think of... Uh, the German Shepherds back hind legs. If you don't work them enough, they yeah. uh, they get bad hips. The mm-hmm. Great Danes heart, the pugs' breathing capabilities uh, um, is all because of crossbreeding and interbreeding, pedigree breeding, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's similar with barley. It just raises the question. Um, it's probably too deep for this type of podcast. I think I think what you've said is pretty clear that the the, the bigger companies that push yield, yield, yield. Will eventually kill us with their um, inter uh, their interbreeding of uh, barley type. There, there is careful breeding, to be honest. It does go through kind of some kind of multi step process of going mm. from breeding. To, it's not just like they breed a new barley today and it's out tomorrow, tomorrow or yeah. the next year. It's over several years. I think at least like five years, and it's several different tests. Because the thing is, you don't want barley that's too uniform. Because then if but they obviously but don't, the, uh, you, would, you would presume that they obviously don't really care what barley type they use either. They just want the one with the best yield. The best barley is yeah. the one that gives the, the highest yield. They want yield. the one with the best yield, but, but then there is careful steps, I believe. I've not seen them in practice, but I read about them that s- stop the kind of limitation, they limit, sorry, the growth of uh, disease. Because when you have barley that's so uniform, if uh, a disease, disease comes about, wipe. it just wipes the whole f- uh, the whole party is ended. I would maybe make the point as, as well in it. I was going to say I, I don't necessarily believe this, but I definitely do. the 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 breeding of barley um, to suit the larger companies to produce a higher yield, the floating of well, it's to prevent diseases, isn't to prevent diseases for anyone other than the producer, because if that barley has a disease, they can't use it to produce whiskey, and they've wasted time. But I think also and the, 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 the point the of preventing money. disease is like properly saving. Like it's not it's not the worst thing to prevent de- disease in new breeds. It's just the fact that if you overbreed it, it all becomes too similar. Because obviously, like prevent disease prevention in barley is beneficial to the barley grower, the farmer. It's beneficial to the the seed provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beneficial to the distiller. It's beneficial to the malt house, and it's beneficial to the industry as a whole. If you look at the French wine and cognac uh, industries, think of the 1960s or late 1900s or whatever, they were decimated by uh, a, a disease, a, a, a parasite bug. and Which well, essentially saw the rise to the... To Scotch the whisk industry. Yeah. <laughs> so it could be... It could previously... Did that not previously happen to that sort of cognac industry that saw the rise of... The sherry industry within the UK as well. Probably. That happened previously uh, as well. Um, so I, c- I guess it does have a point. I was being more cynical in the fact that as long as it's got high yield, the, the it prevents diseases is purely based on allowing them to produce the highest yields. It's got nothing else to do. 
with anything. Okay, will we move on to the Scotch Whiskey League? Yes, let's finally kick some rather disappointing whiskies out this league. Maybe start this to be a bit different. What was your, what was your favourite out of the two Springbank local barleys we just tried there? Uh, my favourite, I would, yeah, I would definitely go from the 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 ten year old Oloroso, the sherried one. Yeah, yeah, the, I think sh- yeah, the sherried one. We're both. I think we're both in agreement with that. Agreement yeah. with that. It was the better whiskey. Yeah. More interesting. More interesting. Yeah. Even if it, if sherry's not particularly your style of whiskey, the the all also um one. The it wasn't overpowering. Sherry, wasn't overpowering. But it was. It was just more interesting. It had yeah. more about it. It was. It was well balanced. It was well put together. But it was just had a lot more character to it as well. Do you think that's better than the Long Row Red? I think it's up there. I think it's top three. Better, uh, I better mean, than yeah, the Nick yeah, yeah, I would say it's better. It's better for me, and I was a big fan of the Nick and I was arguing for the Nick to be to be better than the Long Row. I would definitely say that the Sherry Springbank is better than the Nick and I would de- I would say it's I'd say it's up there with the Long Row Red. Right, okay. I, we'll I think I think it would be e- either or. We'll leave it at that. What? Where do you, Where do you think the non-sherried, the kind of mixture of cast, the other the, the 10-year-old... The, the, the bourbon, old, the, the sherry and the port, the, the older one. The, the older local barley in terms of it was released yeah. a longer time ago. Um, what do you think that would be? It'd be below the Glen Scotia, 14-year-old, but by some distance. Lower than the Klein Leash, 14-year-old? No, I'm saying like it would be... Ju- it'd be In the standings, it would be behind the Glen Scotia. Fourteen-year-old Portwood, um, Open Day bottling, the Malt Festival bottling, but I wouldn't say it. Would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it'd be close to actually. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think. I think. But I think there's the a gap. There's a gap after that Glen Scotia. That I think the first, the the first uh, local barley we tried, the non-sherried one, the kind of mixture of Cass. Yeah, I think it's better than the Klein Leash. I don't think it's as good as the Glen Scotia. So it could probably. Nestle in there between the Glen Scotia and the Klein Leash. Right, okay. And uh, take fourth spot. Fourth spot, not bad. The the sherry, the Oloroso sherry, Springbank local barley. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult because I think... Where would you where would you initially put it? Uh, I'm conflicted because I would automatically think that a Springbank sherry um, 10-year-old would be above the knee and above the Glen Scotia. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if it was just because trying the Nineen was like something new and it was it was it was very nice. I, I just don't know if it's better than the Nineen. I mean, as I'm saying it, I'm not even believing myself. Of course, a Springbank local barley ten year old sherry is better than the Nineen. Um, but is it? Is, is it, it, better, is it? Is it? I think you're falling into that sort of trap that a Springbank ten year old local barley. If it was written down on paper, what one would you rather try? If you were to be given that or a Non-age statement. First, uh, was it batch three, batch four, or something? Nicknean. What would you What would you pick? Yeah, you would always pick the Springbank. But I think at the time, what we were trying, I think the Nicknean was very, very good. When I look back at the Scotch Whiskey League, am I surprised that we put the Nicknean so high? At a glance, at a look, yes. But actually tasting the Nicknean, it's 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 well up there. And in terms of the Scotch Whiskey League, which I, I know we started like, oh, we have to focus on flavour, but we've been influenced by other factors. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, you know, as I say, it's conflicting. What What did I get the better experience from? I probably had the better experience from the Nicknean. Yeah. What did I get the better experience with a Glen Scotia? Potentially. So I'm wondering whether 
this Springbank Sherry goes below the Glen Scotia also. And then, then below the Glen Scotia, but above its 10-year-old counterpart. Uh, it's, it's sibling whiskey. I think not. I actually think, I've thought about it for that split second. I really, really, I'm confusing it. It is very close, but I would... I, would I don't know. I think you've convinced me, though, because I was saying it was beside the long row. I don't know. You've sort of convinced me. I would maybe go long row one, Nignian two, Sherried, local barley, Springbank 10-year-old three, Scotia four. I think, for me, for the same reason I would put it below Nignean would be the same reason I'd put it below Glen Scotia. Just that experience of the whiskey. Like Glen Scotia is good, though. It's, it's, like all, it's, it's, all, good. it's almost like we knew what we were getting, or no, I knew what we were expecting, and it lived... From, up, from the local barley? From the local barley, the Oloroso sherry. It's like, I got what I expected, and that was... A very, very nice and a, a great whiskey. But what did I get the bigger enjoyment out of? Uh, probably en- enjoyed. <sighs> Not in terms of flavour, but just the overall experience. I probably enjoyed Nick Nian and the Glen Scotia better, which is why I'm conflicted, be- conflicted because the Springbank does taste better than the Glen Scotia and the Nick Nian. You're talking yourself out of putting it there, but I think you've talked me into it. What are you thinking? Because I think you might need to decide this one. I don't know. I'll go long row one, Nicknean two, Glen Scotia three, Springbank ten year old sherry casks, sherry, all are also sherry casks, four, and then the bourbon sherry and port, the other local uh, Springbank ten year old local barley we've tasted tonight. That would go into number five. You've talked me into liking the Nicknean and the Glen Scotia more, even mm. though you've talked yourself out. I think when you said it there, I would have to agree. Who does that kick out then? Who are the awful whiskies that have been kicked out this league? The the bottom two. It's that Glen Murray, the the cheapest of the cheap from uh, from Morrison's. <laughs> I would just count it up because it's like I actually don't. I can't count to eleven. Uh, <laughs> it would it would it would kick out the Glen Murray. That's ah, a shame. Peated Elgin. Kill I don't think Elgin it's a great it. loss to the league. No, I, I'm I'm slating that against some of the ones that we've tasted at the top of the league. I mean, it wasn't a hor- it wasn't an horrendous whiskey for eighteen quid. No, it was probably which is sort of a I I thought it was a backhanded compliment. I That's thought what it was <laughs> exactly the value for money. I thought I thought it was a whiskey that there's was definitely no added value in that whiskey because no, it was only eighteen. I quid. thought it was a whiskey that matched up with its price. <laughs> Like had cheap written all over it. Expertly. <laughs> so right, I run through the whiskey league one to ten. So long row red at the top, Nick Nian second, Glen Scotia, uh, open day bottling, uh, fourteen year old. That's third. It then goes the ten year old, uh, Springbank local barley. All the Russell Sherry cast the most recent release, twenty twenty release. Yeah. And then it goes the Springbank ten year old local barley. From 2019? 2019, I think. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then goes Kleinleash, 14-year-old. Yep. Ben Nevis, 10-year-old. Bunahavan, Sturidar. Tobermory, 12-year-old. And then coming in uh, at 10th place on the Scotch Whiskey League uh, is the Arbeg Wee Beastie. It's a solid 10. Solid 10. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy that with that 10. And uh, the interesting thing is that any other whiskey that we try from now on needs to make it into the top 10 it really. needs to make it into the top 10 and if it does it knocks out 
the Ardbeg Wee Beasties on the Chalk Wee Beastie, which I thought was a very enjoyable whiskey, but we'll probably try maybe a better one. Yeah. Uh, we'll need to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Right, that'll do us. Thanks very Thanks much for joining us. Later.